Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 24 and we're in verses 8 through 12. Today I'd like to bring you a message that I call witnessing of or about the resurrected Christ. I want to make three statements about this passage and draw upon a couple of other passages, well, three or four passages along the way. The first thing I want us to notice is how his living word will always carry the believer to his intended results. At this point in Luke, the disciples of Christ are a mess. Confused, scared, some of them in hiding, being afraid with no leader, knowing not what to do. This great thing that they had been involved with for three years has seemingly and suddenly to them come to an end. It's the kind of situation where for the apostles, for the disciples of Jesus, even though it's been prophesied and through those prophecies from Christ that he would be delivered over at least three times, that he would be delivered over to enemies, that he would be crucified and then he would rise on the third day, even though Multiple times Christ has prophesied this. They didn't accept it. And so having not accepted that, they don't know at this point what to do. Something as powerful as what Jesus had said to them is simply going to have to be experienced. Jesus, of course, knew this. The Heavenly Father knew it. So let's look and see. Now here are these women. They're coming, they're coming after the Sabbath to put spices to anoint the body of Christ in his tomb. And so Luke 24, 8 says, when they saw that his tomb was empty, they remembered his words. Now his words were, I'm going to be delivered over to enemies. Well, that meant he would be mistreated. They're going to crucify me. They did. But on the third day, I'll rise again. The powerful word of God is living. It never dies. It never dies. From the Genesis 1-1 to the Revelation 22, 21, it never dies. Everything in there is alive. And being alive, it speaks to people who are spiritually alive. It doesn't speak to people who are spiritually dead. They can read it and all they see is either a myth or a fable or a story or maybe bits of history here and there according to their, uh, according to their measure of history or whatever. But the one who is spiritually alive it carries on a conversation. It emboldens, it enlivens, it strengthens. 
So they remembered his words. One of the greatest activities, maybe the greatest activity for a believer is to constantly be in the word of God. Every opportunity that you have to read the word of God and absorb it. The more you do it, the more it becomes familiar. And even though you may not be able to draw upon exact scriptural memorization of verses here and there, you will know the general summary of what was said and it'll strengthen you because a course of, of across the course of life, you'll find yourselves in situations that are very similar to situations that someone faced in the scriptures. And you can draw on that and you can remember the word of God or there are commands or there, there, uh, there are these directives, imperatives in the Bible for all of us. It may not relate to someone's experience. It's simply an imperative. How you're supposed to live, do this, don't do that. You can draw upon that. It will strengthen you sometimes when you face a, a, a fork in the in the road or, or some sort of major decision, something in life, maybe something has crashed in on you. Something doesn't seem right. Something seems to be leading you into stress and confusion. You can draw on the word of God. The more familiar you are with it, the word of God will speak to everything all time, all the time in some part of your life, whenever, wherever. I can tell you that from experience. So they draw upon the words of Jesus. They remembered his words. Well, of course it should be an empty tomb. He was delivered over to his enemies like he said he would be. He was crucified like he said he would be. And now it's the third day. It's the beginning of the third day. Of course, his tomb is empty. We're still on the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because... Because the power of it, the promise of it is so powerful in the Old Testament that they lived according to it. We saw that in the Bible last time. And the power of the reality of it is so great that it reaches into our lives today and this same wonderful gospel message and the promise of life beyond the grave, still reaches into the hearts of people and people are still drawn to it by the Holy Spirit of God and they are still saved according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of the resurrection, the power of the word of God when it is spoken, preached, shared, then applied by the Holy Spirit and God does his work that only he can do. So the power of the word of, of resurrection, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ reaches from everlasting to everlasting and it makes its way powerfully through time. It courses its way through history touching the believers, the hearts of believers on both sides of the cross. Before the cross, Old Testament time, after the cross, 
even today. Believers know. We know that although we may die and the physical body will collapse because of the curse of sin under which it has lived, yet even that will not stop the resurrection that belongs to us. It's ours. It will be ours. He lives, therefore we live. The great, wonderful, powerful message, the reality of the resurrection of the Son of God. And they remembered his words. Now, his living word will always carry the believer to his intended results. Now back to these ladies. They were going to share the, the word and the, the, the reality of his resurrection. And they expected certain results, but it didn't work out the way they thought it would. There comes a time in life, trust me on this. There comes a time in life where you just come to understand, you know, my intended results are just meaningless. When it comes to the work of the Lord, it never works out the way we would think it would work out, the way that we would intend it to work out. It's because really it's not our work, it's his work. Now these are his words and it is his work that is going to be accomplished. Now we have to take the whole scene into account. So in order to do that, let's go back to Matthew 28, uh, beginning in verse 8. Having, here's what happened, okay. Luke just says, you know, they went from point A to point B, but there's more to it here. And having quickly gone out from the tomb with great fear and joy, this is from Matthew 28, they ran to tell his disciples, okay, fear and joy, excited, running to tell his disciples. But something happened. Jesus met them along the way. Jesus says, good morning, ladies. Top of the day to you. Coming to a screeching halt and backing up. That's the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. It's the way I see it. The voice sounded familiar. He looked familiar. They came over to him. He's smiling. He's happy. He's given them a greeting. They didn't say a word. They fell down at his feet and worshiped him. What else can we do? There's what's on your mind when on that infinitely glorious day, if you are still alive or if you're dead, you're called up from among the dead to stand in his presence, or if you're still alive, you're caught out from among the living and you're in the presence of Christ. Paul says to the Thessalonians there together to be with him. 
in the clouds, in the air. What you going to do? Well, my guess is we're going to worship him. And it won't be a new experience for believers who, as true believers, have really lived in a spirit of worship since we've been saved. If we're truly saved and the Spirit of God has caused us to be born again, what else can we do but have this unction, this drawing to him that we might worship him, that he would save us, that he would save me. I have never deserved it, do not deserve it now. I'm not deserving of it. I won't be deserving of it tomorrow. Worship him in a new glorified body with the best clothing one could imagine. Arrayed in glorification like him, John says, we just worship. We'll know what to do from there, I'm sure. Took hold of his feet, fell down at his feet, worshiped him. Now my guess is that Jesus is laughing and chuckling here. I get up. Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. Okay, so what happens after worship? Intimate relationship with the Savior of whom we should not be afraid. And in the boldness to which he calls us, which he gives us, we tell others. That's what he says. Go tell my brothers so that they should go into Galilee and there they will see me. So this is the message. All right, Luke doesn't tell us that. We have to insert Matthew's account so that we can see what happened along the way. Now with that in mind, they've seen Jesus, right? They've seen an empty tomb, they've seen Jesus. They listened to his voice. So now they are in obedience to the resurrected Christ. We go back to Luke 24. His word may not work the way that you intended for it to work or the way that I intended for it to work, but it will always work. So we're picking it back up with Luke. Having returned from the tomb, they related all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Okay, so there are more than just the 11 disciples who are left. There are other disciples and two of them we're going to see God willing, next time on the road to Emmaus. It was now Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them telling these things to the apostles. What were they telling? 
We saw an empty tomb. We saw angels. We saw Jesus. He told us to come to you. And he said for you to meet him in Galilee. And this is probably like so many Sunday morning services. The living word, the glorious testimony of a resurrected Christ, the reality of the ages that I don't have to die. So here you are in the church that I call Bland Baptist Church. Their words seemed like foolishness to them. That hurts. I just saw him. I just saw the angels. I saw the empty tomb. He's the one who told me to come here. And they did not believe them. This is not what the women expected. Moving according to the word of God, proclaiming the word of God, and at this point, nothing happens. Not a thing. For all the power that's in the word of God, it seemed like foolishness to them they did not believe them. We're going to understand why this is in, 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 uh, in just a minute, okay? But Jesus had an intended result, and here it is. But Peter, having stood up, ran to the tomb, and having stooped down, saw only the linen strips. And he went away, being traumatized in himself at that which had happened. It happened. There was no denial that this big rock had been moved. There's no denial that what he was wrapped in is still there. There's no denial that it's empty. Something happened. So we pick up on that in John 20 by standing on the truth that the power of his resurrection reaches lives even today. Okay, now here's how John expands on it. Therefore, Peter and the other disciple went forth. That's John, John, younger John, maybe an older teenager. We're coming to the tomb. Now the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. I don't want to get in a foot race with a younger man. And came first to the tomb. And having stooped down, he saw the linen cloths lying there. However, he did not enter. Finally, old Peter came limping up. That last, that last eighth of a mile got me, man. He followed him and he entered into the tomb. Peter went right in and saw the linen cloths lying there and the facial napkin which was upon his head. And it wasn't lying with the linen cloths, but it had been folded up by itself in a place. Now that doesn't seem right. 
If somebody came in and messed with the body of Jesus, whatever. Things were like they should have been. And this is how Peter saw it when he went in. So then the other disciple, John went in then. Well, if, if Peter didn't die, I guess I can go in. Having come first to the tomb, he saw and believed. Now this is why the rest of them were having such a hard time. For they not yet understood the scripture that it behooved or that it was necessary for Jesus to rise out from the dead. Now back up in verse, oh, I don't know, verses six and seven, recalling the words of Jesus, it behooved him to be crucified. Now it behooved him to rise from the dead. So the death of Christ was necessary. And so was the resurrection of Christ. Only Christ could do this. He, he had to die and then be raised again. Well, let's keep going with that thought. This is from Romans chapter 4. Now, it was not written on his, this is the account of Abraham that's previous to this verse. Talking about it was credited to, him, credited to him for righteousness. It was not on his account alone that it was credited to him, but also on our account. To whom is it about? To whom it is about? It's about us to be credited to those believing on the one having raised our Lord Jesus out from the dead. Now this gives us why it was necessary for him to die. And why it was necessary for him to be raised from the dead for the resurrection. Here it is. Who, that is Jesus, was delivered over for our trespasses. He is offered as a payment for our sins. He lays himself down as the payment. Now, if the father sees the death of Christ and the payment of Christ, the payment of himself, if he sees that as legal tender, he won't leave it laying there. He'll pick it up. But if it's not an acceptable payment for our trespasses, he'll just stay there. He won't pick him up. Jesus was delivered over for our trespasses and was raised for our justification, for our being made righteous. God accepted Christ and what Christ did on the cross as payment for my sin. He accepted it. If he hadn't accepted it, he would have left him there. But he accepted it. So it was necessary for Christ not only to die, but it was also necessary for Christ to be raised up from the grave. And that's what Paul proclaims he did. This is our proclamation to people. Christ had to die so that the sins of his own could be put away. 
And it had to be acceptable to the Father. Thus he was raised up from the grave and therefore will raise us all up from the grave in Christ. So you see, we saw earlier in Luke how Jesus said to Peter, Satan, Satan has declared that he wants to sift you like wheat. When Peter said, oh man, I'm going to die with you. I'm going to do all this stuff. Satan has been granted that request. But after all of that is over and you have been restored and you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Well, nobody is strengthened when the women come and tell them. This all sounds like a bunch of foolishness. Peter comes, he goes into the tomb, looks around, sees that something has happened. John becomes a believer. And now Peter is at least equipped with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, how is it going to work out from there? We'll follow the story, God willing, as it works itself out to see how the word of God always has its intended results. That's what makes preaching such a joy. Sunday after Sunday, no visible results, whatever. We well, see results can't be measured by any standard that I have or that you have. Results are measured only by God. There's no other way except God's way. So you know, I know how those women felt when they preached to these guys and these guys just said, that's a bunch of bull. And they went back to whatever they were doing. Picking their toes or I don't know what they were doing. What do a bunch of guys do? Uh, we won't go there. But God's results are going to happen. He said they would. Jesus already has a plan. He has a plan for you, for me, for Shiloh. He has a plan. That plan is irrevocable. We're not going to stop the plan. Just throw me in there and let me do something that pleases you. So now back to John 20. Down in verse 29, this is when, okay, Jesus is going to appear to the disciples, but Thomas is not going to be with them. Old <clears throat> Thomas. Old Deacon Thomas. It's like that old guy used to describe people in church. He said they were born on the dark side of the moon and they were, they were weaned on a dill pickle and baptized in vinegar. This is, this is Thomas. I'm not going to believe a thing. You're going to have to take my finger and poke it in the place where they stuck the spear. You have to let me feel the wound. 
<laughs> well, guess what, Thomas? Jesus came. What did Thomas do? Fell down and worshiped him. My Lord and my God. That's what he said. And now Jesus testifies about you and me, those of us who are in Christ. Because you have seen me, the resurrected Jesus, you have believed. But there is a greater blessing for those who will have never seen me, and yet they will believe because of the power of the word of God and the reality of the resurrected Christ, the truth of it, the verity of it that is carried through by the Holy Spirit of God into the hearts of believers through generation after generation after generation. Ours is the greater blessing than even Thomas is one of the 12. Because we know he's alive. We believe it. Even though we haven't seen him. That's because the testimony of the Holy Spirit of God who comes into the life of an otherwise dead sinner Brings him to life, causes him to be born again, and plants the living truth in his heart. That sight is clearer than physical sight. Witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. And according to his changeless word, his perfect word, if you will admit that you're a sinner, if you'll believe in Jesus to be your Savior, in confession of sin, call on him to save you. God will save you because you can only come to that point in life by the drawing power of Almighty God. In just a moment, we'll start singing a song of invitation. If you would come to Christ today, or if you would acknowledge having come to Christ today, if you've never done that before, you come in the act of standing. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. We'll take care of all of the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation and use it to your glory as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, okay?